The Leadership File on Premier. We welcome back to the Leadership File, Chris Sinkinson. Chris is the lecturer in Biblical and Theological Studies at Moreland's College near Christchurch in Dorset. He's the author of a number of books in theology and apologetics. Indeed, we featured his book, Confident Christianity by IVP, in a previous show. He's contributed chapters to other books, the latest of which is The Bible and the Spade, Archaeological Exploration at Et Tal, in the light of gospel accounts. Thanks, Chris. And it is in his interest in archaeology as it relates to the Bible that is our topic for today. So you may have seen his article in the May issue of Premier Christianity magazine depicting Chris as a 21st century Indiana Jones, a splendid (laughs) picture it was indeed. So, Chris, welcome back to the Leadership Farm. Thank you so much, Andy. Good to be back with you. Um, so, so how's life been in lockdown for a college lecturer? Well, the irony is uh, it's not really stopped us from doing anything we'd normally do. So we're delivering all of our teaching online. That's fairly straightforward. And then even in terms of pastoral care, uh, tutorials, obviously marking and uh, feedback on essays and so on, all of that can be done online. So in some ways it's business as usual uh, but obviously you know uh, in a in a christian ministry training context we do value the face to face you know we value personal contact so we are missing we are missing that sure okay um and, and when did you become interested in in what we might call biblical archaeology well actually a, an interest in archaeology generally okay. goes way back okay. so i before i was a christian you know okay. when I was growing up i was always interested in archaeology and uh, in fact you know that's really what i wanted to do i wanted to be an archaeologist so i oh. uh, you know before i was a, a christian when i came to faith uh, my direction changed somewhat and uh, i ended up um studying uh, philosophy and then theology and uh, i've been involved in pastoral ministry and now in a bible college what's you know in the providence of god what has been great for me is it's almost full circle in the sense that it's allowed me now to bring together uh, my love for the bible the word of god and preaching and teaching the bible with my love for archaeology and ancient history and uh, so i've kind of been able to uh, carve out opportunities to be involved in biblical archaeology and uh, from my I mean, i'm not an archaeologist so i never actually you know completed any training in that sense so while I'm involved in archaeological digs, I do so, you know, in the capacity as a Bible college uh, lecturer who um, is an enthusiast for what's happening in the world of archaeology. Uh, but my my bread and butter is in teaching Bible and in Christian ministry. Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, so obviously we're, we're recording um, during lockdown. Um, this is via a phone line. Um, so. Uh, hence the record forgive the recording quality if you're listening um, uh which which maybe maybe a little bit mixed but um um so so you're probably not anticipating going on any particular dig soon uh, chris but um how many digs have you been on and um have you unearthed anything that you've been especially pleased to find well i i number uh, over the years uh, i've been involved in a, a, a few that i've gone to in the uk and then uh, a number of seasons now at a uh, site called Hell that you referred to there uh, near the Sea of Galilee. So that's um, 
I probably I can't remember now. Four or five seasons that I've been involved uh, there. I was uh, back there for different purposes in uh, February this year, so just before lockdown. And uh, I, I was interviewing some various archaeologists for a project that I'm involved in uh, in the Holy Land. And uh, as you say, now that I'm back, I mean, we're not sure when we're going to be able to get back out again. But over the years, I mean, yeah, I, I, I found things that I find, you know, there's always spine tingling, you know, to bring something out of the soil and think of its great history and who may have held it uh, once in the past. So some very beautiful little scarab seals, which are little marked uh, semi-precious stones with uh, inscriptions on. Uh, but most of the, the kind of exciting stuff of archaeology is, is really, it's not so much a kind of treasure hunting for little artefacts. It's trying to find information about how people lived and thought in the ancient world. And for those purposes, uh, gateways, walls, rooms, architecture, uh, that can be really significant. And uh, last summer in, in June, we uh, identified, because of some certain artefacts that were found, uh, a gateway from 3,000 years ago, from the time of King David, at a, a city in the north uh, east of the Sea of Galilee. So, so that kind of find, which helps us to understand the past, in many ways is more important even if it may not be as visually stunning as the pretty little artifacts that often you know people are more interested in seeing sure and, and i understand that there was a, a period of time when there was no actual evidence of of david's existence as such mm. and then the, the archaeology discovered a um i think some sort of inscription which which talked about david mm. being the king that's right that's the uh Tell Dan Steeler from the 1990s, and uh, there are two of these stealers. That's sort of like a monument, really, a standing stone. There are two of these that have been found, which now have uh, a reference to King David. And uh, the one that was found at a place called Dan in the north of Israel was a uh, particularly stunning uh, house of David from within, you know, 100 years or so of the lifetime of David. So we are not talking about a King Arthur figure. We're talking about a real historical person. Now we we would have known that already because the Bible has its kind of self-authenticating nature as historical and reliable. But it's just an encouragement that outside of the Bible, this kind of material helps confirm that what we read really fits with what we know of the ancient world. So the article I re referenced in, in our introduction uh, mentioned uh, the Ark of the Tabernacle, of course. It was about, the article was about the Ark of the Tabernacle. Um, its exact history remains a mystery, but there is some evidence that, that ties to its existence. Obviously, people can go, go to your article, but just give us a brief reminder of, of what you covered in that, that piece. Well, like many, uh, my interest in archaeology was inspired partly by a great film in the 1980s, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And uh, there's no doubt that the fascination with the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and where its final resting place might be has inspired people with an interest in the past and uh, archaeology. And that, that's, in that sense, it's a good thing because it inspires people's interest. And, uh, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is always intriguing. I think a lot of folk who are not Christians or not churchgoers are interested in stories surrounding the Ark. But in practice, uh, Indiana Jones is a good example of treasure hunting, uh, not really a great example of archaeology. And so in terms of our interest in the Ark of the Covenant, what I did in the article is really to look at some of the biblical content, what is the Ark and where might it have gone, and then look at some of the theories. And I'm afraid uh, most of the theories are wildly speculative, and the ones that are more dogmatic about where they think the Ark is are generally the least likely 
to be correct. <laughs> All right, okay. uh, I think the thing about the Ark of the Covenant is it sells books. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it's something to capitalize on. And so really in the article, what I try and do is steer a careful course between uh, the possibility that the Ark is yet to be found. I mean, it, it might not have been destroyed, though that's likely, but it may not have been destroyed. It may have been hidden and it may be found. That's possible. But on the other hand, you know, archaeology is a science. It's a careful uh, sifting of the past to understand the ancient world. It's not treasure hunting. And uh, when we walk that careful line, I think what's, what's helpful is we can begin to discern uh, what are sensationalist theories that are misleading. I mean, so for example, uh, there's one theory that the Ark of the Covenant is uh, in a cave just outside the old walls of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, there's uh, quite a, a famous internet personality who claims to have photographed uh, the Ark of the Covenant in this resting place. So sadly, the photos came out all blurry, so we've never been able to prove uh, what he claimed to have found. But it certainly, I mean, you know, it, it made a lot of uh, fame for him. Uh, but those kind of outlandish theories, there's another one with photos of an Ark that were found at Mount Nebo, which are suspiciously modern. I mean, if you look at the photos, there's some modern-looking nails in the Ark. And nobody's actually presented the physical arc itself. It's just grainy photos and so on. So these kinds of um, fairly sensationalist theories, I, I think, are very misleading. And it's quite helpful for us as Christians to weigh those up because it helps us to um, learn how to discern, which I think we need to do in, in life. You know, learn how to discern the things that come up top in your YouTube search are not necessarily the most reliable uh, scholarship. And then on the other hand, there are some theories, particularly regarding Ethiopia and further south in Africa, regarding a tribe called the Lemba people, which do indicate some kind of connection and awareness of Jewish traditions and traditions regarding the Ark in Africa. And those are perhaps the most intriguing uh, stories that go around. It may be that there are actually uh, much later stories that emerged uh, you know, long after the New Testament period, actually, and don't really go back as far as the time of the, you know, the original Ark of Moses. But nonetheless, the, the existence of those stories and some claims in, in uh, Africa, and particularly in Ethiopia, are certainly worth reading about. You know, they are of interest. Yeah. So I survey these different theories and these different options, and um, I don't want to give away perhaps what I say in the conclusion. Maybe I shouldn't give it away. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> indeed. Will you people to read it? <laughs> absolutely. No, sure. I can't believe I, I called it the Ark of the Tabernacle rather <laughs> than the Ark of the Covenant. And so, forgive well, us. It was, it was, it was, it was stored in the Tabernacle. Well, it was in the yeah, indeed. But I, I, I know it. Obviously, it's the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know why. Anyway, but but, but leave that, leaving that aside. We, we're um, we're coming to to a, to a break in a few moments. But um, uh, after the break, Chris, it'd be good to talk about uh, the way in which archaeology uh, can be can have a role in its in its help in giving us evidence for the a accuracy and veracity of the bible as you said already you know the bible is its own um witness and um for those who are believers in jesus then we, we have no problem but obviously there are those outside who are who continue to throw scorn upon um, the reality of scripture sometimes for you know for for malicious reasons of course and you know because they they don't want to believe it but but others others have genuine skepticism about how an ancient book can um can continue to have value 
uh, in a modern age. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll take a, a break and then we'll we'll, we'll come to that particular uh, that question. So you're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck, and I'm joined this week by Chris Sinkinson, a, a lecturer in biblical and theological studies at Moreland's uh, College. But we're particularly talking about archaeology and its role in helping us and support uh, biblical truth. We'll come back to this after the break. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Chris Sinkinson. Uh, Chris is lecturer in Biblical and Theological Studies at Moorlands College near Christchurch in Dorset. He's uh, recently written an article in the May issue of Premier Christianity, uh, which depicts him as the 21st century Indiana Jones. So Chris has a, an interest in archaeology pre his faith, uh, but uh, uh, during his uh, his walk with Christ has uh, uh, continues to dabble as an amateur somewhat in um, in, in travelling to Israel and uh, taking part in digs. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit now about uh, the role of archaeology as uh, in terms of apologetics. So apologetics is very much close to your heart, isn't it, Chris? It is, yeah. I, I think apologetics is an important aspect of, which it's an important aspect of, I think every area of ministry, you know, whether you're involved in preaching or leading a home group or whether it's evangelism more directly or schools work, I think apologetics should be a significant dimension. That is to say, not apologizing for our faith, but giving good reasons for what we believe. And, and archaeology, um, you know, ha- will, will play its part, won't it? I, archaeology, I think, very much uh, plays a part as an important way of thinking about the historicity of the Bible. You see, the problem I think is so often in, in our Christian ministries is that we emphasize the Bible as a great devotional resource, you know, encouraging scriptures appear on our Facebook feeds, which remind us of, rightly, that the Bible is greatly encouraging, there's positive words, and there's a, a sense in which the Word of God is itself inspiring and, and, uh, and encouraging. But we need to go beyond that and say also, the Bible's not only a great devotional book, it is real history. You know, it's grounded in real people, real places, real events. And how can we ascertain that a book, you know, that's 2,000 years old and more, uh, refers to real people and real events? Well, archaeology opens up the window because archaeology is a relatively modern science. The last uh, 100 years or so has really developed uh, as a science which helps us to sift the sands and test what we know of the ancient world and throw light on how people used to live and what people used to do. And so archaeology gives us the tools to be able to demonstrate that the Bible is not myth or legend, but is real history. Yeah. Uh, and obviously sceptics will, will continue to be sceptical if they've got a pre um, a prejudice against the faith and against Christianity, then they, they, they tend to be able to see flaws in any argument. But nevertheless, if you were... Um, presenting the best supportive evidence what what would you go for well i mean you we could look at the details i mean there are many many different uh, artifacts and discoveries that help to confirm the reliability mm. of the bible but we could also look at the big picture you know and, and i think um you know rather than giving too many of the details the big picture is very important what i would just say i mean a lot of archaeologists are um rather cynical about apologetics and okay. uh, the reason for that is that apologetics, the danger in apologetics, is that people just cherry-pick uh, the bits that fit and ignore the bits that are more complex or don't seem to fit. And that kind of cherry-picking from archaeology is something which archaeologists themselves really don't like. And the reason for that is, and, and this may surprise you for me to put it this way, but the best archaeologists 
can be quite sceptical. Now, I don't mean by that sceptical of the existence of God or the sceptical of the Bible. I just mean they have a kind of uh, scientific bent, which means they want to test everything. They're sceptical in the sense that if you make a claim, they want to know how we can be sure of that. And that kind of attitude, it's forensic, you know, it's, uh, it's an attitude that says, when we look at a site, let's not assume it proves what we think it's going to uh, reveal to us. Let's test every hypothesis. And that's a good attitude to have in archaeology, because what it means in archaeology is that sensational claims quickly uh, get shown up for what they are, and evidence has to be carefully and painstakingly put together. Now, therefore, in the light of that, it is all the more encouraging that with a 100 years or so of modern archaeology, we have evidence after evidence after evidence that demonstrates that wherever the Bible can be tested, it demonstrates that it fits with what we know of the ancient world. And that claim I've just made doesn't come out of, you know, Bible believers who desperately want to prove it's true. It comes out of genuine scholarship, methodical research that's open to testing. And therefore, you know, when we look at uh, what archaeology can show, it can show that when we take the story from Abraham and the patriarchs in particular, uh, right on down through uh, the biblical story, we can find direct evidence for many of the people who lived, for many of the events that unfolded. I mean, do you know, the Biblical Archaeological Review, which is a, a magazine that, it's a secular magazine that surveys some of the material, they published an article in 2017 that shows 53 different Old Testament personalities have now been confirmed from the archaeological record. So there are 53 different people you read about in the Old Testament who we also know about from outside of the Bible, from archaeology. And that number's growing. Uh, that was 2017, and uh, even in 2018, I can add two or three different names uh, oh. to that list. So, so the list is ever-growing, and uh, these are all sorts of different characters. And this has come out of, you know, painstaking research. So we, we might, I mean, we've already referred earlier, Andy, to the Tell Dan Steeler, which has a reference to King David, the House of David, the Beit David, as it, as it says. But, you know, we can add to that many other uh, characters and names that have been confirmed from the archaeological record. So the big picture is that the Bible we read fits with what we know of the ancient world. And that's a finding that even a sceptical archaeologist can say, yes, they can agree with that, uh, that, that, that the Bible, where it can be tested. Now, of course, there are other areas where it's not possible to directly test it. And this is where I'm afraid some of the more kind of uh, sensationalist claims come in. So how do you prove a miracle? Well, I mean, actually, archaeological evidence for a miracle would be very hard to substantiate because it could always be explained in other ways. But uh, the exodus from uh, Egypt for the Israelites is a very important area here where we would want to have direct evidence for Moses, for the Israelites, for the crossing of the sea. And again, I'm afraid uh, the top searches on YouTube or Google will give you some very sensationalist claims for things like chariot wheels in the Red Sea. Archaeologists generally would be very sceptical of those kinds of claims because archaeology doesn't tend to prove things as directly as that. What we do have, though, and I think this is far more uh, exciting, actually, than uh, claims regarding chariot wheels, what we do have is, for example, a stela that was found by Flinders Petrie, a British archaeologist, uh, which is called the Manepta stela, so it's another standing stone, and it's a standing stone that's 3,200 years old, and on this stone is an inscription from Pharaoh Manepta, an enemy of Israel, 
that is the first direct reference to the Israelites in the land of Canaan from outside of the Bible, written by an enemy of the Israelites, carved in stone to be found, you know, 3,000 years later. And that's a direct reference to the people of Israel as a people group who had come out of Egypt and were in the land of Canaan, and they were enemies of the Egyptians. So we've got a direct reference to the Israelites from that period, from the period just after the Exodus, as they were beginning to settle in the land from outside of the Bible. It's finds like that, Andy, which are really, uh, for me, uh, key in terms of putting together the historicity of the, the biblical narrative. Sure. Well, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, Chris, any books that you recommend? Some some folk are, are kind of fascinated by what you're listening to and would think, well, I'd like to do some reading about this. Have you got any particular ones that um, you'd point people towards? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a great book uh, by Clive Anderson and Brian Edwards, uh, published by Day One, called Evidence for the Bible. Lovely, glossy, hardback book, Evidence for the Bible. And also, they've also published a, a small book, which is a guide to the British Museum. Now, when lockdown finally ends, and uh, we're able to get back to visit these places, uh, the British Museum, for anybody living with, within reach of London, is such a fabulous resource. And if you have a little walk around the British Museum, free entry, uh, with a copy of Brian Edwards and Clive Anderson's Guide to the British Museum, they will take you on a route that will bring you face-to-face -face with objects from the time of Abraham, uh, from the time of Solomon, David, from the time of Moses, of course, uh, and from the time of Jesus. So you can have a real tour through the Bible uh, using the British Museum as your visual. And, it, you know, it is astonishing what we have there in London uh, in the British Museum in terms of the, the archaeological finds that tie in with biblical history. I, I always love to take students to something called the, the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III, because again, it's a bit of propaganda from the Assyrians, who are you know anti-Israel in that sense, but they inscribe on this obelisk, this standing stone, not only a text that refers to the King of Israel and the Israelites, but images. They've actually carved the images of King Yehu and the other Israelites who are coming to pay tribute to the Assyrian king. So this is 2,850 years old, and we can say not only do we have a reference to a biblical king and to the Israelites, but we could even see what they looked like. We've got the nearest thing to a photograph of the ancient Israelites from nearly 3,000 years ago. And there it is in London, in the British Museum. Yeah. I, I mean, just some other books. I mean, there's um, probably, uh, rather than just saying books, just author names, because um, there's authors like, I would recommend, uh, James Hoffmeyer, who's written quite a bit on the Exodus period and uh, the Israelites. Uh, Stephen Collins, who's written on uh, the, the, also the Exodus, but also the period of um, Sodom and Gomorrah and the patriarchs, and Kenneth Kitchen. Uh, Kenneth Kitchen's book uh, on the reliability of the Old Testament is a, just a fantastic survey of the Old Testament in the light of uh, what's being found in archaeology. Hey, can I also mention I wrote a book? Please do, yeah. <laughs> Time Travel to the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Uh, time, travel to, time Travel to the Old Testament is an IVP book that I wrote, uh, which is an attempt um, to use some of the archaeology to help us to understand the Old Testament. So, you know, it's not just about proving the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's also about how archaeology can just help us to understand these were real people living in real places in real history. And there's lots of details that archaeology can help in, in terms of understanding how they lived, what they ate, uh, how they traveled, um, you know, all of these areas, what kind of boat, were the um, 
uh, were the disciples in when Jesus taught them and they're out in the Galilee? Well, we know exactly because we have from archaeology a boat from the time of Jesus, perfectly preserved in the mud of the Sea of Galilee. So it's not necessarily always about proof. It's just about saying we can know exactly the kind of boat Jesus was in with the Israelites. And uh, we, we, can, we can actually go and see it and, and see it directly, but it casts light on what we read in the Bible. And what I love about this, Andy, is it just brings alive that these are real people, you know, in real history, and that helps us to connect with them. Oh, well, thank you so much, Chris. So, sadly, time's defeated us, but of course, um, you'd want to say that if you're considering theological college uh, next academic year, then Moreland's College would be a great place to go, and you can meet Chris for yourself. I certainly would, yeah. Moreland's College is a great place for applied theology. Excellent. Good stuff. Thank you. So, so I haven't got, given you enough time, but uh, t- time has defeated us. But uh, So, th- my thanks to Chris Sinkinson. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. And uh, my thanks to you for listening. Uh, May God help you uh, as you seek to lead in his name. Uh, And as we close the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.